the Links and Locks podcast. podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. We're super psyched for this week's episode because it is one of four major championship episodes that we'll have coming for you all year long. This week, it's the PGA Championship, and I, your host, Roberto Arguello, could not be more excited to be joined alongside Nick Bretwish and Spencer Aguiar. You can find them on Twitter, at StixPicks, that's Nick, and then at Tee-Off Sports for Spencer. Guys, we're going to get into our best bets right away, and then we'll do a quick course preview because people aren't very familiar with Oak Hill, especially with this being a new version of the course, very different from the course we saw 10 years ago when Jason Duffner won the 2013 PGA. Then we're going to get into our outright cards and any other picks that we have before we get into our rapid fire and break down as much as we can uh, before Nick's tea time later this afternoon. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Spencer. Jason Day won last week. I know you're excited, even though your best bet, you found a good number against him, which was a great number. Like by the end of of Wednesday night, I saw the placement for him at 20th and you got it at ninth. Unfortunately, he won. But I know that you're happy nonetheless. Who's going to is he going to keep you going this week for your best bets or are you playing someone else this week? So part of me wants to go against Jason Day again, just for the sole reason. If this means that I'm going to fade Jason Day and he's going to win golf tournaments, we can do this every single week and make him Tiger Woods before this is said and done after the next couple <laughs> of years. But no, I'm going to go a different route for my best bet this week. I'm going to say Sung J.M. minus 120 over Dustin Johnson in a head-to-head matchup. Okay, DJ coming off a win at Live Tulsa last week, but Spencer is fading him. Nick, what do you got for your best bet this week? I am going with a Euro. I'm going, check the pronunciation on this, but Thorbjorn Olison top 40, plus 360. Oh, some big plus juice this week uh, for the best bet. That's the biggest plus juice we've had for our best bet in quite a while outside of outrights. Uh, so excited to hear the cap on that one. And I'm going to go back to good old reliable. I'm playing Taylor Moore top 40, plus 160. Uh, guys, let's get into the best bets and then we'll get into the course preview. So Spencer, why are you backing Sung JM over major champion Dustin Johnson? In my opinion, there seems to be an overcorrection to the market when it comes to the live players after what we saw from them at the masters. We have gone from nobody wanting to bet on them during Augusta at relatively respectable prices to now everyone wanting to back them in all iterations of these markets for the PJ championship. That answer is generally acceptable, at least in the sense that if you're willing to readjust when new information has entered the space. However, it's one of those things where the entire group has shifted too far across the board in their weekly expectations. It doesn't mean certain players aren't going to find success again this week, but it's essential to remember that Augusta is the single highest predictive course on tour when it comes to a golfer's ability to generate rollover success at the track. You know, essentially a live player performing at that particular event doesn't necessarily indicate anything we should expect moving forward. That seems like a standard answer to give for a sample size that is virtually zero when dealing with the situation, but it seems as if the market or at least the general sports better here has shifted the narrative too far. Like sure. You can make the argument that Dustin Johnson Johnson has historically performed admirably on courses that mimic what he should be experiencing this week at Oak Hill. Uh, we see that with his second place grade at mid to long iron or mid to long par 70 tracks over his past 50 rounds. But I also don't know what happens when he leaves his understanding of Augusta and now has to scramble inside of bunkers that are going to thoroughly test where his game is at this week. I think the common consensus, and I mean, you even said it when giving the intro here, Roberto, like everybody's going to think his game is in a good spot after winning at Live Golf Tulsa. Uh, but I am very interested to see how he handles these bunkers. Like I'm using numbers from when he was a full-time player on the PGA tour for some of these numbers, obviously, like I can't pull data from live golf the way that I would like to. So uh, when we look at some of these sand save and, and weighted scrambling numbers, these are really alarming for me. He was 120th in weighted sand save percentage, 110th for weighted scrambling I just think Sungjae's a really nice player to take him on against. I think, Roberto, you and I, maybe more so than any show out there in existence, 
Like we are on Sungjae almost every single week, it feels like. And we keep talking about at some point, he's going to put the pieces together and he's going to win a big tournament. It very well might be this event. And kind of when I look at this from a safety perspective, at least if we remove the super high-end names from the mix, like let's remove Scotty and Rom in particular. Mm-hmm. And like to me, Cantlay, Xander, Sungjae, Finau, these are guys that are safer than almost any other guy that we can talk about. And if you're telling me that I can fade a golfer in Dustin where I don't really still know where his game's at and take him on with a golfer like Sungjae, who is one of the safer plays in my model, I thought minus 120 wasn't nearly large enough. Like I had in the minus 140s as more of a proper price. So I'm about 22 points of value here on a Sungjae ticket over Dustin Johnson. Spencer, I think you're preaching to the choir here. And you mentioned some of those other players who have that high level of safety. I've got a matchup play where I'm back in one of those guys. So we'll get into that later on in the podcast. But before we do that, let's get to Nick's best bet. Nick, break down why you're back in Thorbjorn this week. Yeah, Thorbs, my boy. Um, never bet him before in my life, but have always uh when I've watched some TP World Tour, I just love his swing. His swing is so simple, so quiet. I wish it's what my golf swing was, but the guy's just incredible for me. He hasn't finished outside the top 40 again. This is just on the DP World Tour since November of 2022, but he does have history at this track. He finished tied for 40th in 2023 at Oak Hill when I believe Jason Duffner was the winner then. Yeah, the course has taken on significant changes and everything like that, but so has Olsen's game. He is a much more complete player now. He's a great ball striker, longer off the tee, accurate off the tee, um, a streaky putter, but everything on Bankrest looks pretty good, so I like the data there, and Spencer's model will show you that as well. I'm just going with the recent form and a guy that seems to just score well everywhere he goes, and he's familiar with this track, so I think, again, he's better than he was in 2013. Arguably, this field is too. But just to finish inside the top 40, I had that price right around plus 275. So 85 points of value. That's a, that's a gimme play for me. I'm going to take it. And, you know, historically, when I bet the Euros, it usually works out. So let's go Thorbs. All right. I like both those plays a lot. And I've got my own top 40 play with Taylor Moore. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that we love this guy. And he's just got no real weaknesses. The biggest weakness for him is his around the green game, which certainly will be challenged this week. But it hasn't been something that has really held him back from scoring overall. When he loses strokes on around the green, it's not a lot. Uh, It's not more than a half stroke most of the time per round. But everywhere else, he is on fire. So when you look at his strokes gain numbers, he's gained strokes on approach in five of his last six events, off the tee in 11 of 12, and putting in eight of nine. And he's pretty accurate off the tee as well. And additionally, he's got top 40 finishes in every single event since Riviera. So since... The West Coast Swing, he's played in five designated events, top 40 in every single one of them. Seven overall also has that win at the Valspar. We know that this week it's going to be long. He's long off the tee. We know his long irons are really strong as well. And we know that he can cash in his opportunities with putting being arguably the biggest strength of his game, although his approach play continues to surge as well. So that may not be the case for long. I just really like this player. I think he's a lesser known name in a field full of big names. I think there's value on him. He just snuck into the top 40 at the Masters last or last major. And this week, I think the course fits him a little bit better than Augusta as a player who didn't have a lot of course history there, just a second-year player on the PGA Tour. And we know the live guys, as Spencer mentioned, how too much is being taken away from Augusta National and the predictive nature of that golf course. The reason they're on live is because they played well at Augusta. Guys like Charles Schwartzel, Sergio Garcia, those guys all got on to live because of their accomplishments at the Masters. Newsflash for those two guys. They're not here in the field this week. They're going to be watching on their couches just like us. But the live guys in the field this week, not as big of an edge at Augusta compared to a lot of the younger players like a Taylor Moore. And so that's why I think there's some value in backing Taylor Moore. And, of course, I've also got an outright on him at 200 to 1. But we'll get into those outright plays in just a few moments. Before then, let's get into Oak Hill, which, Nick, you mentioned – Jason Duffner won here in 2013 when Olison played as well. And since then, there have been a ton of trees removed. They've made this a longer golf course, and they've tried to restore it to the Donald Ross roots that he designed it way back in the earlier 1900s. Spencer, you wrote a great article uh, that I got to edit this week on the course preview here on Action Network on our website and our app. Want to dive into what else stands out about the course redesign from uh, Andrew Green? 
Yeah. And, and as you said, Roberto, you can get an extensive breakdown on my thoughts there if you want to read the article that I did write for Action Network this week. But I think beyond anything else, and this is, it's an interesting course because you you kind of talked about it, Roberto. When, when you look at this venue, when it was constructed or when Donald Ross put this together in 1922, Donald Ross courses are known for being able to have to hit every single shot in the bag. And at some point between there and some of the majors that were held in the 50s, that kind of lost, got lost in translation. And as the years have gone on, that continued to be the case. And you can see it through the 2003-2013 PGA Championship. Like, to me, those became plotters, paradise-type tournaments where they were still difficult. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be an easy tournament, but you kind of lost some of the ability to think outside the box. And, I mean, there are so many issues on this course when we talk about bunkers and the thick rough that comes into play. And I think above anything else, that is the most noteworthy answer that I continue to give throughout this week is when Oak Hill got the clearance that they were going to be their course, the PGA Championship was the fourth major that was going to be played. That's mid-August, and that's warmer weather. That's more rollout. It's not going to be probably rough that you can get as thick just because there's so much rain that's been in the territory at this time of the year. So you have this luscious, thick rough that's going to obviously be a massive factor, but now all of a sudden you move the course to May. It's going to be colder weather. These mornings are going to be very very, very cold in these spots. You're not going to get any rollout in a lot of these spots. You have rough where it's going to be difficult to advance the ball. You have these bunkers, whether it's of the fairway variety or the greenside variety to where there's real problems. They're hazards. They're not just you land in the bunker and okay, we'll move on and we'll figure this out and we're going to easily make par. Like if you're in the fairway bunker, you might have lip problems to where you can't advance the ball the way you want. And that's going to be of the players who can't clear it off the tee. So that's where I think distance does come into effect. Also, if you are going a little bit more wayward off the tee with distance, and I'm not saying distance is the only answer that you're looking for here, but if you're further down the course playing from the rough, it's going to be a lot better if you're, you know, further back, shorter, you have more long irons coming in and you're out of the rough. You might not be able to get there. And if all of a sudden you're taking long irons from the rough and then you're getting stuck in these greenside bunkers to where there's false fronts on these surfaces, you have shaved runoff areas. Balls are going to be very difficult to stop on these small putting surfaces. And a lot of times you have to play out sideways from these bunkers. Mm. And it's going to be a challenging uh, perspective. Like that's kind of where it goes into my answer. of You need to have every shot in the bag to find success here. It's not just distance. I think distance does help. When I ran my model, it was a 65-35 split of distance over accuracy. So I still have a 35% split there that accuracy comes in the mix. I ran a secondary number, which a much less weight on it to where I did throw a little bit more distance into the mix. Just try to be safe there with it. But yeah, I, I think Nick kind of said it best on the show that we just did together. Like you need to be a five tools sort of player here to where you can hit every single shot. And there's a reason why when you look at my outright card, it's the players that to me are, you know, outside of like, I mean, obviously you could consider John Rom if you want to bet him at the number and he's going to be the best player in this tournament, in my opinion, but it's going to be that sort of a John Rom skill set that I'm trying to find on players that are 20 to one, 30 to one, 40 to one, and try to find that skill set on those guys on the outrights. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a second. Nick, anything else to add to that course preview? No, I think Spencer nailed that on the head. I think my summary of it, and it's not groundbreaking or anything like that, but five tool players, you want guys that hit it long. You want guys that hit it straight. You need guys that are extremely good ball strikers and guys that can get out of trouble and scramble, especially with these bunkers. These things are insanely deep. The greenside bunkers are going to be very tough to get up and down. Um, so that leads you to, you know, how do you put on fast bank grass? So five tool players, I want guys that fill it up everywhere and guys that could scramble, you know. So we're uh, pretty much on the same mindset here, and I'm excited to watch this tournament. I'm excited to watch the carnage. And hopefully um, someone that's on one of our outright cards wins the tournament. Yeah, the way it's being set up this week, it sounds like it's going to be a complete test. The course is pure. It's going to be tough. It's going to be challenging conditions. It's going to be a little cold in some of the mornings. Just everything you could imagine you want from a major championship. So I'm really excited. And before we get into it anymore, let's talk about our outright cards. Spencer, I'll let you start off. It's a major championship, so I will take a few more shots up top than you would All typically right. see from me in a standard week. I think part of that answer comes down to the brutal scoring nature of these tracks. I think that typically shrinks the winners down to a much more condensed number than we would get during a birdie shootout because 
these contests increase the likelihood of a golfer getting to the eventual winning total. Um, when you have the projected finish still sitting around a single digit return, I tend to believe we probably have only about 30 to 35 players that I give any real credence to when it comes to walking away with the title. So for all those reasons, I started my card with a golfer that I can't seem to avoid in these major championships. And it used to be that I couldn't avoid him anywhere. Now I just can't avoid him in the majors. Xander Shoffley at 20 to one. I know that this is an extreme statement that I'm about to make, or it may come off as being an extreme statement, but my numbers believe Xander should have been the third favorite at this particular course, trailing only John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler. He had slightly better win equity totals for me than Rory McIlroy. That might be a surprise. Tony Finau and Patrick Cantlay. Those were three golfers that ranked between fourth to sixth when looking at my math. Shoffley was also one of only five players in my model to grade inside the top 50 of all nine categories I ran from a statistical perspective. I think you're going to need safety. You're going to need that sort of a skill set when it probably plays in single digits this week. So the other four names outside of Xander were John Rahm, Jason Day, Tony Finau, and Terrell Hatton. Two of those will feature themselves in a second, but I think Shoffley's combination of being able to ball strike, putt, scramble, Mm -hmm. hit for adequate distance... Like all those things stood out in my model and we keep saying five tool player. Like that's exactly what we're looking for here. And Xander to me has always been the one B to what John Rahm puts together as I guess the one A there. And maybe over the last two years, that has become more of a one versus two situation with what John Rahm has accomplished. But I've always been a massive believer in Xander's game. And I do think at some point he ends up winning one of these majors. And you can make an argument that this might be the best chance he's had in a really long time. I took Tony Finau at 29 to one. Funny enough, this is the same start to a card I built at the Masters when I punched my opening two wagers. I just continue to believe Finau's outright tolls are overinflated weekly because of the lack of perception around his win equity. My data doesn't have those same concerns. I kind of give this answer every single tournament, it seems like this entire year. He has a third place grade for weighted tee to green. There's a projected increase with his putter on bent grass. All of those things really start catapulting him up my want list because if you're telling me that he can make some more putts here than I would envision him making during a typical tournament, that's a really intriguing thing. And I've kind of given this answer the past few weeks where the driver isn't necessarily what we have seen from him historically. He's not having as much distance off the tee, but with the lack of distance that's been taken away from him. He has added accuracy, so he's kind of now giving you that blueprint of a player who's just a really good total driver, and he has that short game that I'm looking for, specifically if he can make putts here on bent grass. So I like the 29-1 to number. I bet Sung Jae-in at 40-1. to Won't go too much into it, obviously. Like I talked about, I guess I talked more about why I didn't like Dustin Johnson versus why I like Sung Jae, but... I think it kind of goes into the point that I was going towards with Sungjae to where if you're telling me it's a single digit winning score, that's where Sungjae has his best upside in my opinion. So I think it's a really good course fit for him. He's trending with five top 17 finishes in a row. At some point to me, this is going to be put together. I think a single digit tournament is always going to be his best chance to win a major. Here's the gross one of the mix here. And obviously like there's a bunch of outrights I have here. And I, I believe you have the hat on with the autograph of this player, which you can show off Roberto, but Jordan Spieth at 40 to one. And the thing about that number is it's drifted. I, I think you can get that up to 55 to one now, if you really want the price with it. And I just wouldn't discount some of the pro like, here's the answer that I gave to Nick earlier. And I guess I'll say it again, because I think it is really noteworthy here. When you look at Rory and when he plays Augusta, every single time the conversation is, this is his chance to win the career grand slam. It's finally going to happen. And as I told Nick, I fall for it every single time. Every single year I bet Rory and it never works out. Without without question, it ends up falling apart. I think it's a borderline decent thing here that we're talking about Jordan Spieth's risk rather than him winning the career Grand Slam. From a statistical perspective, if we remove the injury concerns, he's inside the top 10 of my model. I think the creativity that he brings to the table from and around the green game, the way he can scramble, the way that he can avoid bogeys in these spots... I think he can be that player that wins this tournament in single digits. There are concerns with the wrist. I'm not discounting that narrative here. And there is a chance that he pulls out. Like, obviously, from a wager perspective, if he does, I hope it takes place before he hits a ball so everybody gets refunded their money with it. But I'm going to bet on the upside. I always give this argument. If you don't win the golf tournament, 
and you come in second place, like unless you have each way backing or you have a top five wager, like your outright ends up being a loss. So I'm betting on the upside with him there. And then the last two that I will just very quickly run through here. I took Terrell Hatton at 46 to one. That goes back to the answer that I gave for Shoffley when talking about there being only five players in this field who landed in the top 50 of all nine metrics that I ran. And then the last one, I think Roberto, you and I do this every single week where we seem to, if you play one, I play the other. Steven Yeager, 300 to one. I really like Yeager this weekend. When we get to the placement market, I seem to have littered across the board with it on Steven Yeager wagers that I thought were interesting. I thought there was a lot of interesting um, analysis there. And by the way, if you're listening at home, as of Tuesday late afternoon, Jordan Spieth is 50 to one on bet 365's enhanced win. Um, I think that you made a great point that is, if the scoring is in the single digits under par, that's great for him because we know his short game is incredible and the putter should be hot, especially with these pure bent grass greens. Before I get to my card, I'll let Nick respond to yours if he has any comments and then get into his card. Um, sounds like exactly like my card. I also took Xander Shoffley. <laughs> I also took Tony Finau. That was prior to ever talking to Spencer. He did text me and said, I think I have a problem. I bet Xander at 20 to one. I also did. I have Xander proper at 17 to one. So up on top of the board, that was the most value I had in addition to Tony Finau, who I had at 26 to one. So three points of value on both of those guys. Um, I did take Ricky at 80 to one. I'm not sure I like that as much anymore, but he's just playing so, so, so well right now. So I'm okay to, uh, to take the number there. I had Ricky. What was my number for Ricky? Let me look at that. I had him at 65 to one. So 15 points of value there, but again, that kind of gets skewed as so much of the win equity is at the top of this board, especially for a major championship. I took Russell Henley at 190 to one. That is me just being a fanboy, but I do think this is a decent course for Russell. Russell does have the PMAM wave, so he will tee off late Thursday, which I think should be better, especially for guys that are shorter hitters, because the course is going to be cold, you know, probably pretty moist, um, maybe even a frost delay Thursday morning. So after it gets some sunlight throughout the day, I think Russell should be in a better spot there and then much better weather on Friday morning. Um, the only other ticket, I guess, that well, I took Thorbs, my boy Thorbs. I'm gonna say Thorbs for an easier way is so I don't butcher his name, but Olson at 550 to one outright. That's probably you know, that's always my shot in the dark. I always have one absolute long shot each week. But really, I think if I were to say who's gonna win, I would say Xander Urfino. I don't care, you know, as much for Rom Scheffler. I I don't think I want anything to do with Rory and the recent two-way miss that he was showing at Quill Hollow. He was also given his interviews on PGA Tour radio today, and just, I don't know, it just doesn't really sound like he's very confident. He even said, like, my goal right now is to lower expectations. That just doesn't sound like a major championship winner that I want anything to do with. Like, I want guys that are killer instincts, and sure, Xander and, and Tony really don't have that, but they also don't talk a whole lot. I'm just going to let their game do the talking. They're in excellent form right now, and those are the two guys that I think have a very good chance of winning, and my numbers back that. So I'm going with those two as my up the board market. And then again, Thorbs and uh, Russell Henley for my fanboy plays this week. We've mentioned before that Finau, the pullback and distance for him isn't because he got shorter and he lost any strength or anything. It's because he's not trying to swing hard. He's got it down in fourth or fifth gear when he could ratchet it up to sixth gear when he really needs to. And he's made that trade-off to get the driving accuracy, which I think has really paid off and obviously paid off a couple of weeks ago at a bomber's paradise down there in Vidanta. I also bet Xander Shoffley at 22 to one. I got some really good opening numbers that I just was very surprised to see, especially given the environment of outrights we've seen in the last month. Uh, but right. I bet Patrick Cantley at 25 to one at open. I bet him down to 20 to one. I really like him because of that total driving and then also uh, the putting upside that he has. But overall, I, I like all these players because they're really good throughout the bag or I got an absurd number on them. And Patrick Cantley, I bet him to win. Uh, 10 units just because I thought the number was way off. And then I also bet Sung JM 40 to one. So got those same, I've got two of those same three as you guys. And then can't lay just because I found the rogue number had to play it. And then I had some fun with some numbers further down the board. First off, Wyndham Clark 80 to one wasn't able to bet the Wells Fargo because I was calling it, but I'm very bullish on Clark overall. And I think he's live for first round leader as well. I also bet Joaquin Neiman 
got him at 150 to one and he's already down to 65 to one in some places i love that bet i'm sorry yeah, to cut you off that as a spencer and i were just talking about neiman is one of our dark horse players on the on the dfs side of things but 125 man that is or 150 150 all right yeah. i will buy that ticket at a markup <laughs> if you want to sell it just let me know <laughs> okay i don't think i'm gonna sell it but um so if, yeah for some of these numbers that i thought were just way off i bet to win around 15 units so um, I got Joaquin Neiman at 150, but you can find him at 80 to one at that 365 enhanced win. I would bet him down to about 70 to one, 75. So I still like that play really long and straight off the tee guy who's won in big time tournaments at Riviera before. Uh, so I think Neiman just has upside and he's been a little bit, I think he's been hurt by the selection bias of some of the live tournaments. They've been playing courses that aren't very hard. Um, some, you can make an argument that a lot of them are putting contests and Joaquin Neiman is suited more for a tough golf course. So I think he's, so he's really long and straight off the tee and this kind of golf course will suit him much better than I think somewhere like Augusta, which brings a lot more players into play because of the really fat landing areas off the tee. Um, continuing with my longer shots and I'm going to have an article coming out on action network later tonight, Tuesday night, um, where you can read more in depth about this, but I also bet Taylor Moore just because I think the number was off, got him at 200 to one, but you can find him at 175 right now on bet 365. I also bet Siwoo Kim at 100 to one, really strong driving accuracy, strong short game as well. So you can find 120 to one out there. Um, so you can check him out there. And then I also bet some other long shots that I feel less confident about as the other players I've mentioned at over 100 to one. But I bet Mito Pereira at 175. He is at the same number at bet 365 right now. We saw him come re really close here last year. Probably not gonna probably not gonna do it two years in a row at the same tournament, although it is a different golf course. But at 175, I had to take a chance with him and his elite driving. And then as well, I took a chance on Harris English at 225 to one. We've seen him pop up a couple times recently, most notably at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, where he finished second. At another tough golf course, I think he's a player who, with his putter, if he gets really hot, he could find himself in the mix as well. And maybe I get a cash out or I can bet on somebody else if it comes down to horse race. But yeah, I took an aggressive stance on some of these longer shots whom I thought could have been closer to 100 to 1, 115 to 1, and were closer to 200 to 1. So I'm pretty excited about those. Hopefully Joaquin Neiman comes through because that was the most aggressive one and the most uh, significant misprice that I found. Um, guys, let's get into some of our other bets this week. Spencer, you want to get us started with what's on the rest of your card? I have a lot of placement wagers here, and I guess I'll start with Steven Yeager since I've already talked about him as much as I have. And um, I bet him top 40 at plus 200. I bet him top 20 at plus 550. I bet him top five at 40 to one. I think all those numbers that I mixed, missed in between there, whether you want to talk about a top 30, a, a top 10, those are certainly going to be in play also here. But I say this almost every single week, and I continue to believe it's true. I'm just not sure that the market has corrected itself yet when it comes to Jaeger. And, you know, there's laughable answers out there when we talk about DFS. Like, I think he's $1,000 or more mispriced on certain sites there. Uh, my numbers continue to generate a profile that makes him a top 30 golfer in the world. I don't know if you're necessarily seeing that. And, and it's one of those situations, whether it be through a DFS or through a betting mentality here, him being a late addition to the field, not that it was so late to the field, but him just not being on that initial list of names that came out. I think he was out of sight, out of mind at the time being. And some of these numbers that entered the space just were marginally too high in some spots and in other situations, massively too high. And for me, it just continues to come down to the same answer I provide. His distance in 2023 has jumped nearly 30 spots in my model when comparing him to this field. The projected proximity for Oak Hill is 46 spots better than his baseline. All those answers to me kind of give me this upside golfer that I'm looking for. And sure, the 300 to one price that I took, it's kind of what you were just talking about, Roberto. Those are number grabs to where I also bet that to, I believe, win 15 units myself there if he pulls it off. And I'm not anticipating it happening, but it's just a nice number grab. And then really, I get my exposure here to my biggest bet being on the top 40 at two to one. And I sprinkle it down across the board to where if he does end up coming top five, it still becomes a really nice week where how he's going to pay this off. So I think Yeager's really intriguing. I took Justin Rose plus 160 on his top 40. Uh, there's one site out there that bloated this compared to the rest of the market. When you look at that number, I just said, 
Rose has only come outside 33rd place once at the PGA Championship since 2013. To me, that presents general safety when we look at the venue from an architectural standpoint. And then the recent form is also ideal with four consecutive top 36 finishes on tour. I'm going to bet on that bent grass history that he's provided for us. And then this upside that he's shown at these mid to long par 70s throughout his career. Um, I think you had a really interesting thing, Roberto, when talking about, you know, a bet like Neiman or, or even Mito in this situation. Like to me, there were four live golfers that I thought were interesting. Mm -hmm. The two that you talked about, I think Taylor Gooch has some intrigue to him. And then the one that I actually have a wager on, Harold Varner yes. plus two pen to come top 40. And, you know, guys, like we obviously didn't do a show together at this time uh, when Varner was still on tour. And it's likely much better for my bankroll that he left for live because I do seem <laughs> to get burned quite often when backing him. But I'm going to bite again when I have an opportunity to bet him because of the upside that he presents in my model. The weight of proximity lands him inside the top 10 names in this field. And then the bent grass returns also generated some hidden potential for a finish that's probably going to go beyond the top 40 if he does actually hit. So like while my recommended way of playing it would be plus 210, I don't have a problem if anybody wants to push this a little bit more aggressively into a top 20 or a top 30. Like it's either he's going to miss the cut and disappoint or if he's there, I mean, like he has legitimate potential to top 10 this tournament. So just know what you're getting into when you do make a wager on him. It's kind of a boomer bust option there. And then the last one that I will give on this show, um, another player that I have been really bullish on, super aggressive with when talking about um, him throughout, I would say the last six months here, Cam Davis, top 40 plus 260. I think the inaccuracy off the tee, the shaky around the green game, some of that does hurt his potential marginally, but it's kind of the same answer that I just gave with Varner a second ago. If he does pop, I think he pops in a really big way and, I'm not necessarily sure how aggressive you have to get with this because, I mean, even still a plus 260 price, I had that off by about 45 points from what I had as proper. You could play it further up the board if you wanted to, but he was a top 40 golfer for me and weighted tee to green. Even when I included 35% of my weight for accuracy, he still landed inside the top 35 golfers for total driving. We know about some of the health concerns he had months ago. It seems like he's turned it around recently. We've seen more robust finishes from him over the past couple starts. And like a PGA championship is one of those venues where I think from a major perspective, Cam Davis has his best chance of making a run. So it's like, to me, these are golfers specifically the last two that I talked about in Varner and Davis. If they top 10 the tournament, I wouldn't be shocked if they missed the cut. I wouldn't be surprised, but I thought there were as good numbers in the space to at least consider them in different iterations of these wagers. I got a couple comments on that before I toss it to Nick. Um, I really like the Jaeger play first off. I'm definitely tailing that one. Um, just looking through his data golf profile right now, he's been a streaky putter. So far yes. on the PJ Tour this season, he gained strokes putting in five of his first six events. But then after that, lost strokes on the putting greens in 10 consecutive events until last week, where notably there was a shift in the putting surface on the PJ Tour from what had been Bermuda grass since the West Coast swing to bent grass, the same surface that we're playing this week, pure bent grass at the Byron Nelson at uh, at in McKinney, Texas last week. And not only did he gain strokes putting, Jaeger did last week, but he gained over a stroke per round, which was his second best so far of the entire PJ Tour season. So really strong showing for him on bent grass. Perhaps that change of surface will continue to provide for him this week. And also, typically, the approach game is really strong for him, but he still finished last week in a tie for 11th, even though he had an uncharacteristically poor approach performance. And the last time he had a poor approach performance, he bounced back with his best approach performance of the year so far. So not necessarily saying that's going to be a sticky result on approach. So I really like that. And we know that with his driving proficiency and his strong around the green play, that just gives him a really high floor this week. And I think the putter and the approach game also give him a relatively high ceiling. So I might have to sprinkle, um, on him at 300 to one as well to win outright, but I really like that top 40 play. And then you mentioned HV three, a guy who I just think really knows how to grind out rounds. I don't think he's really elite at anything, but he's just a really good golfer and he can score. And when the scoring conditions become tough, I think that'll bring some of the best out of his game. So I like that play as well. Yeah. And just to add one more thing. I don't know if I, if I alluded to this, I might've, I might've given this answer already, but it doesn't hurt to say it again. Like when we look at the weight of proximity from Jaeger, 
there's a 46 spot difference in what the baseline should be on a generic course when comparing him to the field and then what we get at this venue. So if you're telling me that there's going to be this increase in the irons and you kind of just talked about how he's a likely bounce back candidate for all those reasons in the around the green game, he's top 10 inside of my model. Like he's a really intriguing mispriced late addition add to the market. That is, as I said, I guess the best way to put it out of sight, out of mind, and books were slow to adjust some of these totals, in my opinion, with him. And I wouldn't be shocked over the next, you know, 24 plus hours until this tournament starts that we don't see him catching more buzz throughout the space. And some of these numbers that I said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if these numbers vanish. So it might be one of those things. If you do like what you hear about Jaeger and you do want to take a shot, you might want to get these in before long. Yeah, I'm doing the impod play right now. So that's our impod play. Of the week. Perhaps we <laughs> well, add another one. I'm doing it too. I'm doing <laughs> right. it too. Oh, man. Hey, this is Action Network Audio Director Matt Mitchell inviting you to head into the sports betting summer with new gear that's built to last. And our folks at Shady Rays, friends of the podcast, they have you covered from the sun to the slopes to out at sea with their premium polarized shades. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company offering world-class products just as good as any expensive pair you've ever worn. And like our betting podcasts, their sunglasses offer the clearest possible optics. Shady Rays also offers the most bananas protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of their sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. So what does that mean? Here's what they told me. It means if you lose or break your pair, even a minute after they arrive, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Plus, if you don't love them, just exchange them for a new pair or even return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. It's basically the opposite of betting on the Oakland A's. So exclusively for our podcast listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code ACTION for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Nick, whenever you're ready after that in pod play, let's hear what yeah, you got on yeah. the rest of your All right. Let's lock it up. All right. I did uh, Joaquin Neiman top 40 at plus 125. I went back to Thorbs top 40 plus 360, as we mentioned earlier. I also played Thorbs all the way up the board at plus 950 for the top 20. Right. Uh, Keegan Bradley top 40 at plus 155. And then I went with one matchup. I it's not that I'm picking on Jason Day, but Tony Finau minus 120 over Jason Day. I just love Tony Finau that much. And I do believe there's a little bit of a weather edge for the PM AM wave. Jason Day's on the other side of that. Jason Day's going to be teeing off, you know, 40, 45 degree weather on Thursday morning. I don't think that's conducive to his back injuries. I know he changed his swing to alleviate that, but this number is running wild offshore, so if you can still find Tony Fino minus 120 over Jason Day, if you're into fading Jason Day, I know he's coming off a win. It's not the best spot. It's not the most, you know, the best expected value I have on the board, but I do have that more at the minus 135, one, minus 140 range for Tony Fino over Jason Day, and that would complete my card for the week. Historically, at least it's one for one. If I sign off on this and I agree, I mean, I think Jason Day wins this tournament. So this might be the opportunity for me to do it. <laughs> if I love Jason Day, I would go fade against <laughs> my model in this situation and would fade him. Um, I don't know. It, it's really hard for me to say that I don't love Jason Day. I mean, I, and that's like the thing. I just want to throw this out really quickly before we move on. And Roberto, you said this best. It, it really just came down to, Ninth or worse versus him closing 20th or worse. It was a number grab. Like he was mm -hmm. a top seven play in my model last week. That wasn't me saying that I did not like Jason Day. So like that's part of me doesn't want to say it this week because I didn't necessarily try to say it um, last week either with it. But I, I don't know. No, I mean, you got to look at the probabilities and there's a probability that he wins every week and you're going to lose no matter what happens. Um, but I thought it was a smart bet, savvy bet, good number grab. And the market reflected it. And if you yeah. wanted to play it differently and shoot for the middle or come back on it later in the week, you could have had basically a free roll at him in the top nine, perhaps, or even in top 20 because of the pricing difference between what you got it at or if you wanted to play it at a top 10. Uh, so you have options when you lock in a nice bet like that. So depending on your risk aversion, 
you can do with it what you like and you chose to let it ride, which was a plus EV decision. It didn't work out last week, but in the long term, it should if our numbers are right. So um, exactly. Yeah. So continuing with what we think are plus EV plays, I got Patrick Cantley minus 108 over Rory McIlroy. Uh, I th- believe that's on bet 365. And I didn't hear the PGA Tour radio comments that Nick alluded to earlier where Rory McIlroy is trying to temper expectations. First off, Rory McIlroy, don't do not do that. Um, and second, you mentioned earlier, Spencer, that Patrick Cantley ranks right up there along with Xander Shoffley, um, Sung J.M., and Tony Finau as players who have the highest floor outside of Rahm and Scheffler. And you didn't mention Roy McIlroy in that sentence. And I completely agree. Roy McIlroy's lack of driving accuracy off the tee is quite concerning. His putter always scares me. Um, I still don't know how his putting numbers are as strong as they are, but I believe he does have stronger bentgrass putting numbers than other surfaces overall. Uh, but I still like can't lay over him this week, even though McRoy is a slight favorite in that matchup. And I also bet Keegan Bradley minus 120 on bet 365 over Sahith Thigala. Some similar concerns for Thigala, given that his lack of driving accuracy off the tee, I think he gets away with spraying it off the tee like a Jordan Spieth does. Uh, he's kind of a mini Spieth for me in that he is one of the most fun players to watch on the PGA Tour. He'll hit it. He can make a par of birdie from just about anywhere on the course. But this week, I don't think that's going to suit his game. And I don't think that he ha- he's as elite in certain aspects of his game as Jordan Spieth is. And also Keegan Bradley, a player that I'm just bullish on. We got him on our outright to win the Zozo Championship. And he's a Northeast golfer. Grew up in um, in the Boston area. Big Boston Red Sox fan. Went to, went to St. John's for college in New York. So he's familiar with this type of golf course. I wouldn't be surprised if he's gotten some extra reps on it. And so I've got him in that matchup as well. And then we mentioned the Taylor Moore plus 160. Guys, anything else on your outright cards or stuff you want to touch on before we go into our rapid fire segment? No, that's that's my official card right now. I might add things. And I mean, as I always say, there will be round one matchups that you can find over on Action Network when that comes to play. But no, let's let's get into rapid fire. All right. So. Big difference this week from what we've seen recently, where Rom has been the significant favorite. Scheffler, actually on Bet365, is a favorite over him in matchups. From a matchup perspective, would you rather have Rom or Scheffler this week? I'll start with you, Nick. Rom. I, I just think Rom's killer. Everything about his game, it, it, he is extremely well-rounded, and so is Scheffler. That's why they're number one and two in the world. But give me Rom in a major. I, I think this is a really good course for him. Again, he is. they're both on the the AM PM wave. So I'm not sure I love that as much in terms of like getting a first round leader or anything like that. Like I usually play with Rom, but I would go with John Rom over Scotty Scheffler, just with Scotty's putting woes right now. There's no downside in Rom's game. And there's a little bit of weak side there with uh, Scotty and the putter. Yeah. I, I have two problems with Scotty Scheffler and it doesn't mean that he's not a top couple play in this tournament. Then I mean, it shows from a win equity standpoint with him being the second name on my list, but 106th in my model in strokes gain expected on bent grass with his putter, 81st in my model in weighted proximity from over 200 yards over the last two-year duration of how I ran it. You're telling me that he, you know, he goes from being the number one GIR percentage player on tour and maybe with the more long irons that come into play here. And if he finds bunkers and he struggles in some of those situations more so, I, I could see this being... A less than ideal outcome from Scotty. Now he also could win this tournament. So I'm not trying to make that argument there, but I think if we're like directly comparing Rom and, and, and Scheffler in this spot, there is more downside to be had with Scheffler. And I would rather take a head to head wager with Rom. How about if I gave you guys 30 to one tickets on Justin Thomas, Cameron Young and Victor Hovland, which one would you want the most? I'll start with you, Nick. I'm going to go with Victor Hovland. I think this is a great course for him. I know the uh, around the green woes are going to scare people away, but I think that's been getting you're trending in the right direction for Victor. And with how much like his GIR percentage should be, you know, top 10, top 20 in this field, along with a guy like Morikawa, who also, I guess, can technically have the short game woes as well. Victor's putter is coming alive this year. I'm going to go with Victor Hovland. I'll say I'll say Justin Thomas. I mean, we talk about winning PGA championships. Uh, one of these guys has done it twice. If I gave you a 35 to one ticket on Matt Fitzpatrick, Colin Morikawa, or Cameron Smith, 
Who would you take? We'll start with you, Spencer. I would take Fitzpatrick. Uh, Why do you guys like him? So for me, and, and I was telling Nick this a little bit ago, Fitzpatrick's not really a guy that grades overly well for me most times when I run a model. And, and I'm willing to ignore that. Like, I understand that just the way that I built things and the way that I trust how I build things, he's just not going to pop for certain aspects of it. He's inside the top 15 for me this week. He's a positive trajectory climber to actually win this event, which means he's probably a decent outright wager to begin with here. Even if you're just trying to find a name, it comes down to the weighted putting, his ability to score on hard golf courses. Like, I mean, how many times can we put Matthew Fitzpatrick in one of these majors? That's a single digit score. And Matthew Fitzpatrick's on the first page of the leaderboard with a realistic chance to win this tournament. And if you're telling me that the bogey avoidance and the scrambling and the sand save percentage, all those things matter, like, He's inside the top 13 of my model in each one of those categories. And I'd have to run it to figure out who else fits into that mix. But I promise you, if you're running those three things and you're you're cutting that base or that, that number off at 13th, there can't be very many players that are going to fit into all three of those. So I think Fitzpatrick has a really nice skill set to find success here. How about if I gave you guys a 50 to one ticket on Tyrrell Hatton, Max Homa, or Sam Burns, which one would you take? Starting with you, Nick. I'd go with Tyrrell Hatton. I think his game's in a great place right now. Everything about this course, you know, long driver, accurate driver, good long irons, great scrambling, and great putter. I'm going with Tyrrell Hatton. I really don't have an interest in any of the other guys you mentioned there. I don't think this is a good spot for Burns. The iron play is just not where it needs to be. I know he's having a, a better mid-season than he was in the beginning of the year, but I'm going to go with Tyrrell Hatton, who's kind of flashed all season long. I'm also out on the other two. I have an outright ticket on Terrell Hatton. So I'd be going against my bets there if I didn't say Hatton. So the answer for me is Hatton. Let's talk about a few other major champions and a guy who's got some major hair. Hideki Matsuyama, Tommy Fleetwood, Shane Lowry, Adam Scott. If I gave you a 65 to one ticket on any of those four guys, which one would you pick? Spencer? For me, it's Hideki. I kind of like Hideki a bit this week from a metric standpoint. Like he's another player who we see his upside increase on hard scoring conditions. Uh, I can kind of give a very similar answer that I just talked about with Fitzpatrick here for Hideki. 16th in my model in weighted bogey avoidance, 4th in scrambling, 28th in sand save percentage. So he's a little bit lower there, but the sand save answer is going to hurt a lot of players in this tournament. And for Hideki being able to salvage that issue there and I think from a total driving perspective, maybe he isn't quite the same player that he used to be a couple of years ago. Like those numbers have decreased for me a little bit, but you don't have to look any further than the weighted proximity is still top 20 in this field. So I like Hideki. Like he was a name I considered. I just didn't know how I wanted to get exposure to him. Right there with you on that. How about you, Nick? We agree on every pick so far. You got to get us, uh, get us contrarian somewhere. All right. Last one. I'll get you guys out of here on this one. Uh, 80 to one. If I gave you a ticket on Adam Scott, Gary Woodland, Tom Kim, or Taylor Gooch, which one would you take starting with you, Nick? All right. I know we'll disagree here. I think Spencer's going to go with Taylor Gooch. I'm going to go with Tom Kim. Um, people are worried about the injury and everything like that. If you look at the ball striking numbers last week, the field was weak. Sure. So being like upper middle of the pack, isn't fantastic, but Tom Kim does fill it up a little bit. I think at non birdie fest should be okay for him. It's going to hit a lot of fairways. The longer irons are getting much better. I think Tom Kim should be plenty safe here. I'm going to go with Tom Kim at a week that no one wants to talk about him or say the course is too long for him. I think he can hold his own here. I don't think he can win, but I do think he could finish inside the top 20 with just four days of safe golf. But I don't love seeing his old arm just all taped up. I don't understand what's going on there, um, but I will go with Tom Kim in hopes that Spencer goes with Taylor Gooch here. I'm going to go with Tom Kim also. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'd like to give a different answer to make it unique here, but like, I think there's real problems with Tom Kim potentially pulling out of this tournament. Like that's something to monitor and to keep an eye on here. But when I ran this from a weighted T to green perspective, Tom Kim was eighth in this tournament. Like that's a much better fit than people would think when running a model like Anytime you get these distance courts, courses, people just want to write Tom Kim's chances off. And there's a lot that's popping in my model. A lot of that comes from his bogey avoidance, his ability to score in different metrics. But like top 15 player for me this week when it comes to actual win equity for this tournament, 
Gooch is more in that like top 22 range. Um, Scott and Woodland, I don't know exactly what I think about them, to be honest. My model has both of them inside the top 30. Scott's game has kind of been all over the place. He's been saved by the putter. I do worry slightly about Woodland's inability around the green and in these bunkers. He's been very good at PGA Championships. He's been steady here recently. The distance plus long iron proximity. There's a lot to like there. He may pop, but I think he has a lot more risk than some of these names that we're talking about. If we ex we're excluding for one second, Tom Kim's injury of him potentially pulling out of the tournament. But if we're talking about winning the event, I'll go with Tom Kim. As a reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer. Bet $1 on any game and get $200 in bonus bets. Must be 21 or older. Offer is available in Colorado, New Jersey, Ohio, and Virginia in the U.S. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Fellas, where can the people find you and your work this week, starting with you, Nick? Uh, at Sticks Picks on Twitter, S T I X P I C K S, at Better Golf Pod on Twitter for Spencer and I's more DFS oriented show that we do each week. And then Action Network Best Bets. Um, I'm excited this week. I think it should, uh, just reading everybody else's input on that article, I think it's going to be a very fun week for everybody. A lot of long shots, a lot of mid tier favorites that it seems like all of us are on. So I, I think it's going to be a big week for the action team here this week. Awesome. How about you, Spencer? I don't want to get out of here without Nick and I disagreeing on something, so I'm going to throw Nick an alley-oop here. Who would you rather have an outright ticket on, Scott Stallings or Webb Simpson? Scott Stallings, without a doubt. As much as he hurt me last week, I was all in as everybody could be, but Webb Simpson, I don't think, finishes top 20 in a Corn Ferry event anymore. Sorry, Webb. I know Webb's a, probably a loyal listener. I, I hate to call you out, Webb, but uh, just, you know, it's not there for me right now. i got to show me more. Preposterous comment there. Cannot agree with that. Uh, I will go with Webb Simpson, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Tioff Sports. Uh, if you want to find my model and some of the numbers that I talked about, I'll be sure to get it over there. You can get it on the Rotoballer website. I post the link over on my Twitter and I will have a round one article up tomorrow here at Action Network. So hopefully we can find some value there. Uh, it was a really good week last week in that market. We won some money. So we'll continue to try to keep that run going. Yeah, your guy you faded didn't even make it to the end of the first round. So hopefully we can keep it rolling. And you can find me here at Action Network. I'll have the sleepers picks, or dark horse picks, I think we're branding it as this week, later this evening uh, by the time you hear this pod. And then you can just find all of our Action Network content. I'll also be on The Gimme with Jason Sobel tomorrow live at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Breaking down these picks, I'll add a couple more as we get a few more markets available as well. But thanks again for tuning into our show. For everyone who does all the heavy lifting here, um, our producers, Noah, Sophia, and Matt, thanks so much to them. Um, for more great golf content from our Action Network team, check out our Best Bets episode from earlier this week featuring Jason Sobel and the PGA Tour's Ben Everill as they ran down their top 18 plays for the PGA Championship. Thanks again for tuning in, and here's to hoping you guys all hit the green this week. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.